Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Africa, land of jungles, savannas, the Nile River, and let's not forget the Sahara Desert. There's something awesome taking place there, and it's spanning the entire continent. Believe it or not, it directly impacts you. It's all about keeping our food supply safe and making sure we all have enough to eat. Best of all, the people who are leading the way are women. This week, we're heading to Africa to speak with the heroines working to keep food on our tables. We'll find out how their research is helping to sustain crops, including one most of us love, chocolate, and learn how they are taking the lead to ensure food is always made in abundance. And in our SAS class, we're going to find out how women are influencing men to help them get involved in improving food security. I'm Jason the Germ Guy Tetro, and I'm going to reveal that thanks to women, our food problems might be a thing of the past. It's time to get started. This is the Super Awesome Science Show. What is food security? Well, it's definitely not about putting locks on your fridge to prevent late night snacks. It's pretty much the opposite. It's all about access. Guaranteeing sufficient, safe, and nutritious food for people so that they can have an active and healthy lifestyle. But there are strains on food security. Increased population, changing diets, climate change, and one of the most concerning, drought. While this happens all over the world, Africa tends to be one of the hardest hit places. Making everything worse is that with drought comes insects. They come in and eat away any crops that survive and essentially destroy food supplies. Now, if you heard our very first episode, you'll know that insects could be a very good food source to improve food security, but we still need those crops. Thankfully, our first guest is working to find ways to improve crop survival and yield using a variety of techniques from genetics to microbes. Her name is Esther Goomby, and she is an assistant professor at the University of Illinois School of Integrative Biology. While she may live in the States, her heart and passion continue to reside in her childhood home, a rural farming community in Kenya. Take us through your journey from a farming community in Kenya to research. Okay, so here we go. I was brought up in a small uh, village community in Kenya. It is a farming community, so I grew up farming straight from my childhood. But there's one thing that I would witness over and over again. Uh, I know that we worked so hard. We would go to the farm in the morning, plant our crops, and the crops would be thriving until just halfway through the season where insect pests and plant diseases would just uh, infest and uh, really infest our crops. And I would wonder why. And it was at that time that the insect pest would uh, let all our hard work go to, to waste. 
I would witness all the crops that were all over thriving just go to waste, and then we would be hungry, my family, my community. And so I was, just as a child, I would think, what kind of a career can I uh, grow up to do so that I can help my family, I can help my community to uh, develop solutions to insect pests and plant diseases. But then I discovered science. And so I did very well in my high school. And uh, as a result, I was invited to undertake a Bachelor of Science degree in uh, biology and, bi- and biochemistry. In uh, 2008, I started my PhD in entomology, and this was in the United States. And my dissertation was on finding sustainable ways to grow crops. And once again, continuing with, with my vein of research that is looking for solutions, looking for how we would uh, grow crops and prevent uh, insect pest depredations. And so that's my journey. To- when you start talking about insects, I find it fascinating that you're researching yes. the same thing that you saw as a child. How prevalent Yes. Is the issue of insects not necessarily just in Kenya but worldwide when it comes to food security? Oh, they are a big problem. As a matter of fact, fifty uh, percent of crops are destroyed by insects, and that's fifty percent. And in some crops, a hundred percent of crops can be destroyed by insects. So it's not just an our problem in Kenya. It's a worldwide problem and it depends with the crop and uh, importantly with uh, climate change we are seeing invasive pests which means that new pests are becoming a problem and even old pests are becoming a bigger problem than they've been so yeah insect pest is a continuous problem and the, the, the thing that is really that keeps us in toes is because insects keep on adapting they keep on changing. They keep on resisting any of the methods that we employ to prevent them. So, for example, if you use insecticides, it just takes probably a month or you know a year, and the insects adapt to the insecticides that we push to the environment. So it's kind of an arms race situation with insect pests, and so that's why we constantly have to be on our toes, doing our research, and constantly out there to monitor what kind of insect pests are out there, what, what are the new, newer insect pests that are coming in. For example, right now, the entire continent of Africa is dealing with the fall armyworm, and that's an invasive insect. And before that, there was the tuta absoluta, so they, and they keep on, and from, from Africa, it moved to Asia, so it's, you know, this is a continuous battle. What exactly do you think we can do then if pesticides essentially are only short-term? This kind of almost sounds like antibiotic resistance in humans. So I think, you know, as, a, as an entomologist, we try to advocate for integrated pest management where you employ a variety of strategies, where you're not throwing only pesticides as your only means to control insects. You're using, for example, beneficial soil microbes. You're using host plant resistance. You're using a crop, you're uh, planting crops that have been bred to tolerate insects. 
So you're trying to be, to use multiple strategies. We as uh, entomologists and scientists that are working to ensure that farmers do not lose their crops to insects recommend. What do you see being the future to be able to sustain food security coming from that area and, again, around the world? So that's a very good and uh, broad question. So I think, you know, with food security and attaining food security, it will encompass a lot of just strategic and many other, putting together uh, many things. For example, you know, with drought and climate change, the rains are not coming anymore. So first of all is, okay, how do we breed uh, drought-tolerant crops so that whatever farmers plant, they are able to harvest it. But yet I know that science is already way far ahead. We have drought-tolerant crops. So first of all is ensuring that farmers have access to drought-tolerant crops. They have access to crops that also can resist insects. How do we also breed for crops that uh, take shorter times to mature so that now we know that the periods of drought, that farmers can grow crops that take just a, a month or two months rather than three months to mature. So you see, it's, it's going to take multiple strategies, and these strategies are going to be dependent on the region. So we cannot just take solutions from North America and copy them and test them directly in Kenya. So we have to understand the different uh, characteristics, the different issues, and then adapt the solutions that we have and the solutions that science provides to the local environment. Isn't the point of traveling to get away from it all, to feel the best you've ever felt? Then maybe you should check out Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. When your trip comes to an end, you won't need another vacation because you just had the vacation. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. For the most part, food security doesn't show up on many people's radar. After all, most of our grocery stores are fully stocked, Right. But a few years ago, food security did come into the spotlight and sent shivers down millions of people's spines. The reason? Chocolate could possibly go extinct in a matter of decades. While the dire nature of the announcement may have led to some, well, lots of skepticism, the reality is diseases such as swollen shoot virus and black pod do exist, and they are spreading across the globe. But deep within the Ivory Coast, our next guest has a message for us that should put us all at ease. She's got this. Her name is Veljanie Mafeg, and she is a program manager at the World Cocoa Foundation. She is working hard to ensure that the pathogens that threaten our chocolate supply won't prevent us from enjoying our guilty pleasure now and well into the future. 
Tell us about your journey from weekends on the farm with your grandparents to researcher today. Okay, so as I used to say, I think that what I'm doing today is ground rooted. It's rooted in what I I saw in my grandparents uh, 40, 45 years ago. I recall that I was about seven years the first time that I went to my grandpa's home. It was in a very little village somewhere in Cameroon in Central Africa. So I recall that my grandfather has a cocoa farm. And my grandma has a kind of farm of food crops, you see stable crops, cassava, maize, and so on. So it was normal at that, at that time that my grandfather took men to the cocoa farm and we followed our grandmother food crop farm. But I, I recall, and I used to tell that to people, to students, when I'm working with them, I say cocoa is something that you really love or not. I recall that I used to go to my grandfather's farm to see what he was doing on cocoa farms because I was more interested on cocoa trees than in cassava and maize. Later, when I started my scientific studies, I had something in mind, kind of, I want to solve some of the main challenges that I saw my grandfather facing. Among them was the diseases, because cocoa is cultivated in a tropical zone with a lot of disease, a lot of pests. And he was struggling, in my memory, he was struggling to try to solve this. And when I started doing my master's degree and all those studies, I was kind of, oh, I want to do agronomy. And I started with agronomy. And then when I was to specialize, I said, okay, I will work on plant pathology. So today I'm working as an expert on plant pathology, on plant diseases, and plant diseases in cocoa. What are the current problems with cocoa? How bad is it? We hear in the developed world that sometimes our chocolate supply is at risk. Is that really the case? So I won't deny that there are lots of issues with cocoa. So for those who are not uh, aware of that, 70% of cocoa is coming from West Africa, from four countries, uh, Cote d'Ivoire, Ghana, Nigeria, and Cameroon. So in those four countries, you have lots of traits of cocoa. And the major one is the cocoa swollen shoot disease. This one is really destructive. I know this is an issue. And... It's a big threat for cocoa, but not bringing cocoa to extinction. The other threat is the climate change. So that one is not specific to cocoa as well. And what I can say is that we are aware as an industry of all those challenges. And I want to tell a chocolate lover that we don't think chocolate will go to extinction because we are working very closely with partners, scientists, and national uh, institutions to really tackle those uh, big issues on cocoa. That's great to hear because I think if anyone was worried about the fact that our cocoa would be going away, there would be riots in the streets. So (laughs) thank you for saying that. What are the types of research that you are conducting to help preserve our beloved chocolate? What I can say is that I started working on cocoa on the research side, the pure research side. This was in Cameroon because I was a scientist working on cocoa diseases. That one was really to find kind of molecular biology, all those lab stuff, to find long-term solutions to cocoa diseases. But since I was hired at WCF in 2015, what I'm doing now is much more about aligning 
efforts of the public and the private sector around the main issues of cocoa. That means that I'm working on building platforms of researchers at the national, regional, international level so that they can bring all the results that they already have and that can be used to solve practical questions. So this is where I'm focusing. So how important is it to be a woman at the forefront of this type of research where you're working with all the different sectors from the farmer to the producer to the industry and eventually to the market? Being a woman can be something very hard, but it can also be something very positive because I think that I have a very good understanding of the gender issue in Coco. I also have a good understanding on how research researcher, human researcher, can really be hard worker and how they can also bring some kind of innovative approach in research, something more practical, something more friendly. So I think that my role at the middle of all those actors is really crucial. And maybe that's why I think I'm having some kind of good results. So I hope, I hope I'm having some good results in my work. Our food security safari now takes us to Zimbabwe. You may not realize it, but this country is a major hub for farming in Africa. About 40% of its entire economy is based on agriculture, and over two-thirds of its people are involved in this industry. However, the country isn't producing to its potential. Our next guest is working to make Zimbabwe a better agricultural country by incorporating women into leadership roles. Her name is Ruramiso Mashumba, and she is the owner of Manandi Africa, which strives to bring women and youth into agriculture to improve food yields and ultimately security. She's also a farmer and now a leader in the industry as she is the first woman to ever hold the post of a chairperson of the Zimbabwe Farmers Union Youth. We tend to think Zimbabwe is known for its farming, but I hear that it might be underproducing. Why would that be? Well, absolutely. Um, Zimbabwe is known for its um, agriculture. The history is that Zimbabwe has been producing for decades and decades of years, exporting all over the world, producing fine um, standard crops. You know, we're able to to actually produce, like for certain crops, there's a window when we are able to produce. But over the past few years, we have been underproducing. One of the reasons is because like in lots of other countries, the climate has changed. We now have, it's not as predictable as it is. You know, when I grew up, I used to see my grandmother um, growing, going into the field and planting it in, in October. And, you know, now these days you can no longer plant in October because rain, rain doesn't fall in October anymore. Sometimes you only get rain up to um, in November or even sometimes end of December going into January. So all this is reducing yield. We now have increase of pests and diseases that we don't have knowledge about. For the past few years, we've been hit hard with the armyworm. So all these things are really have been affecting our agriculture, the potential of it. There is very little knowledge out there in how do we navigate um, climate change, how do we um, control these pests and diseases. Statistics show that we, have, we are losing every year about 30% from pests and diseases, and then we lose another, um, probably another 30% from post-harvest losses. So um, the Zimbabwe, definitely there's a lot of potential for farming, but we're not yet, we haven't yet started realizing it. 
we haven't um, started even um, looking at what sort of, because we're, we're still using traditional methods. When I say traditional methods, I look at communal farming. A lot of people in the communal areas, they keep their, their seed from last year um, and then they reuse it. Not because It's not out of choice. It's just because they cannot afford to, to buy anything better. Um, they don't have access to fertilizers. They don't really know the know-hows. And because of that, we find that the yield that could produce maybe five tons, at which was communal level, they're now producing about uh, 250 kgs of grain. It seems that involving women in agriculture to help food security seems to be an avenue that you not only have researched, but are also seeing successes in. Tell us a little bit more about that. So absolutely. So um, I always say that women have always been farming for years and years, centuries and centuries. Women in Zimbabwe have been farming. Women like my grandmother have been farming. It's just that they have never been profiled enough and shown the work that they do in terms of the contribution, nor have they been valued enough to be able to get resources in their hands, um, to be able to now become landowners, to be able to sit on the table with policymakers. You know, I reflect back at um, a conference I went to Seychelles, and I was the only woman who was there at a policy meeting. What I'm excited about is that I'm now seeing like a movement that's happening in Zimbabwe in giving women more access. When I say access, I mean that they are seen more. And because they are seen more, they can contribute more to the discussion because women really are the backbone of agriculture in Zimbabwe. We are the ones who are working on the fields. We're the ones involved in primary agriculture. So therefore, uh, more women voicing their, their views sitting on the table of policymakers, um, being able to get resources um, is really positive. And I see that in Zimbabwe. Currently, I am a woman myself working in agriculture in the rural areas on a farm, producing, being able to make profit from it and being able to empower other women. And I have championed other 500 women in the community that I'm working with, helping them on their small pieces of land, helping them um, understand what what. Firstly, even the basics of the science of ag of farming, because a lot of the times um, people don't forget. They think that farming is probably um, more like an art, um, of you do um, farming in any way, but it's not. It's really scientific. So really understanding the science behind it, really understanding what when we talk about um, what is the the condition of your soil, you know, what are the nutrients, what are the deficiencies, what do we need to do in order to increase um, the the nutrient levels in the soils, things like that. So um, I'm really excited, and I believe that as much you know, there's this African saying that says that the more women that you empower, you empower the village. So I believe, like it's just looking into the future, that there is going to be a big shift, and our governments are serious about supporting women so that they can able to um, reduce food insecurity. Um, the World Food Program actually gave a stat that say that if more women got resources in agriculture, we would immediately see one-third of the hungry people no longer hungry. You're not just an influence in the community. You're also the national chairperson of the Zimbabwe Farmers Union. How has the reaction been from the community to have you in such an esteemed position? Thank you so much for that. Well, you know, when I started, um, it, it, it was very, very, very difficult. You know, I, as much as I was a girl that had grown up in the rural areas, you know, and then went to study agriculture at university level, then coming back to the community and then starting to run a big commercial farm, I remember people in the community, they used to 
think that I was insane. Um, they used to think that I would not succeed. But for me, it gave me motivation to really prove that because I knew that as much as I'm speaking as one voice, but then there's thousands of other voices that I represent. I made sure that I succeeded in what I did. It, it cost me a lot of sacrifice for me to be able to show the community that I was able to become a commercial farmer. And, you know, now I have not only women coming to learn from me, but men as well, people in the community. We have education. We have empowerment. We have esteem. What else do you want to see to be able to give women what they need in order to be able to improve food security, not just in Zimbabwe, but all over the world? Well, I would say um, we need to, as much, there's a lot of talk through different organizations, which I always say when I get an opportunity to address um, our regional um, bodies. There's a lot of talk in terms of the empowerment. Still, there, um, there isn't a lot of access for women. So what I would like to see is that we become more serious about um, empowering the women. We become more serious about ensuring that the women, women are never left behind in different communities. Still we hear stories that women are unable to get um, certain trainings that were only meant for men or something like that. We need to become more serious as uh, not only Zimbabwe, not only the continent, but as the world. We need to become more serious in terms of ensuring that the women who are in front of agriculture get them enough support that they need so that they can champion this work and so that we can actually see the increase in terms of food that we want to see. It's SAS class time, and today we're heading to Rwanda to talk with our guest teacher, Pacific Nashimi Yimana. He is the co-owner of Real Green Gold Limited, which is a company that helps small banana farms succeed in the larger market. Let me first say that, yes, he is a man. But as you're about to hear, his story reveals how important women are to food security, not just as active members, but also as mentors. What is the traditional role of men and women when it comes to food in Rwanda? So in the Rwandan society, men are the provider and the protector of the family. They mainly take decisions. But when it comes on food and uh, how the family can survive, whether it's uh, preparing the food, but in the production system, women will wake up very early in the morning. They go to the farm with a man. They will dig the land. They will do all the work, whether it's caring for the animals. But at the time that the work on the farm is finished, you find women are rushing to the home. They are preparing the food for the kids that are coming from school, for the man who is going now to raise a bit, maybe do other type of job. So which means women are not only in the process of production, but also in the transformation of the food until you have food on the plate. So I would say, uh, women are not only the backbone of the food system in Rwanda, but they are the whole body because they can go from production, uh, preparation to the food. And when it comes to business, you find even more women, I would say like more than 85% of the women that are doing uh, delivery of food from farm to the, to the consumers, they are women who are doing that job. How did women inspire you to follow this path? Talking about women personally 
it's um, something that will never go outside the name of Pacific. So I was born in Kigali, but I happen to have grown up in a rural area of Rwanda in eastern Kirehe. So I was raised by my grandma, and I, was, uh, I grew up seeing only my two aunties who were a, a bit uh, elder than me, five to three years. Everything I have been like seeing around me, the first introduction I got into the community was my grandma who taught me how to do banana juice extraction. So that actually got my attention. I got to love as a kid who was born in the central city and moving back into the village. I had to run everything from scratch, know how people uh, go on farm, how they do the food preparation and everything. As a curious kid, I was doing well at school, but it got my attention every time seeing how my grandma was sacrificing almost everything so that we can have food at table, but also get money to go to school. So I was schooled with the money from the farm, and everything was run by a woman who is my hero today. So growing up, and when I, I, I reached the age of reaching the university, I thought my intention was um, to find a way I can help women and other uh, rural farmers who are out there in Rwanda who are struggling with uh, race techniques in farming. So I decided after my graduation to do farming myself. It was not that easy because even for the first time I told my grandma that I was going to do agriculture and become a farmer with my degree back home. She was like, are you sure you want to do this? Because no one has been making money from farming. But I told her that if you have been able to educate the three of us in this small family with your little strength you have as a senior citizen, so why can't I be a model and maybe help you get uh, the technology, the right tools, even the techniques of how you can be efficient and produce more? So that's what took me to go into agriculture. When it comes to the development of food security systems, do you think that women play a role not only at the top, like we heard from Muramiso earlier, but also in the community as those peer-based leaders? There you are right, because uh, they are our mothers, they are our wives, they are our sisters in, back in the community. And what they do mostly, they be encouraging what we are doing not only into the production, into the uh, activity of farming, but they'll be asking you, how far are you with your farm? So let's take an example of what I'm doing uh, with my company, which is Rio Green God Limited. We recruit smallholder farmers from the communities. And those, in those communities, you find women are making more than 50% of the, of, of the people doing agriculture which gives them a number which is considerable to the point that every decision that we are taking, either we are choosing a crop to go for, either we are choosing whether to use this type of fertilizer, they'll be the one giving you the testimony of how the real activity on the farm happens. They are so keen to know about new technologies, 
sometimes maybe they have challenges on on the on being able to access those technologies but what i have seen and realized over the experience of the four years i've been working with those smallholder farmers is that they are not only doing well but they are trying to be the best in the in the in the industry so farmers women it should mean the same thing when you talk about the smallholder farmers in my country. Well, that's it for this week's AskCast. I hope it has helped you appreciate how women are taking the lead on food security in Africa and ultimately around the world. For Curious Cast, this is the Super Awesome Science Show. We want to thank everyone who has been listening. Your support is overwhelming, and we want to show that gratitude by taking your questions and answering them on the show, usually as themes. Send me a tweet at JATetro or an email to thegermguy at gmail.com. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. It helps to spread the word and get more people to find the podcast. We're available at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere you get your streaming audio. You can also listen at CuriousCast.ca. Be sure to check out the show notes for more information about what you heard today and links to our guests. The award-winning Super Awesome Science Show is written and hosted by me, Jason Tetro. Dila Velasquez is our story producer, and sound design and final production is by Rob Johnston. Have a great week, and as always... Make sure to show them some sass.